Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And I am very blessed to have Philip with me today. Philip, two weeks in a row, we're doing well. Uh, we are setting yeah. a record. I'm not gonna, great. Yeah, it's a great record. It's a beautiful day. A great day to talk about scripture, and we are looking at this prophecy by Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been born, and now through the Holy Spirit, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah is prophesying. Now, this prophecy begins back in verse 68, but today we're just looking at some highlights here uh, later in the passage, starting at verse 76. So today I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version and then we're going to have some discussion about the passage. So this is starting with verse, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, Philip, earlier we were talking and you had some really interesting insight about this passage and why this is such an important link in Scripture and why Luke would put this here. But as we think about what's going on here, we go back to the Old Testament, we backtrack to the book of Malachi, Malachi being the last inspired prophet, the last uh, Scripture that we have. Then there's this, this time of silence for about 450 years where there is no prophet, there is no inspiration there's a lot of big questions left unanswered in the history of Israel. A lot of, as you mentioned earlier, streams that are kind of running out there. And are they all ever going to come together? You know, where will these streams come together? What will it look like? And so now we have this fullness of time when all of a sudden, out of silence, things start to happen. And so, Philip, do you mind elaborating what you meant by that earlier as we were talking about this idea of all these streams and then being the fullness of time and maybe what Luke is trying to accomplish here? Well, we, you know, the, there's this long history. That's what we get in the Old Testament. A very long history of this people who've been in and out of favor with God. And, and uh, starting with the promises of, of Abraham, there's an end game. It seems like they never get there. And God is with them, and he's got all these prophets, and the years go by. They're taken into captivity, and the years go by, and then the, all of a sudden the prophets disappear. There are no more prophets. There's no word from God. And if there's no word from God, then you, you have no light. You're in darkness. Uh, not, not in the sense of no sun, but you're in darkness in the sense of intellect, of knowledge. You, you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what God is thinking. You don't know what God is doing because he's not telling you. You're, in, you're absolutely in this, this period of silence. It's like the, God has gone mute and God is and God is just not telling you anything. And when we get to uh, when we get to the New Testament period, as these rivers are running together from all the different prophets and prophecies, and God's just lining everything up, the stars are lining up, the planets are lining up, everything is lining up to get God's will done. So er everything that needs to be just right is time perfectly 
And here's this man who goes, who's a priest, who goes to the temple, finds wife is going to be pregnant. He's going to have a son. He's caught in disbelief. It's not very practical from his point of view that it could possibly happen. And because of that, he is put in the same situation that Israel is. He becomes a darkness of his own, not of light, but of knowledge. He's no longer, God's not talking to him now. God's done talking to him and he can't speak. And if we understand the scriptures correctly, it would sound as if uh, he couldn't hear either. And so there's no communication. Nine months while this pregnancy is going on, he's incommunicado except he could write. He could write things down. But that's a whole lot like what all of Israel was like. And when John, when John is born and he says this, his name is John, immediately light burst forth. And when the, that passage you just read talked about that there would be this light bursting forth. This, again, is the light of the knowledge of the Messiah. I just think you have to, you just have to see this connection. Um, maybe I'm going too far with it, but I just, I just think there's such a close relationship between what happens to Zacchaeus and uh, Zechariah and what happens to, uh, what happened to the Jews. Yeah. And now everything is going to change all the things that they've been looking for. And he talks about them in that song that he writes or song that he sings, whichever he did. He talks about all those things that they're going to be restored and their enemies are going to be put down. And he keeps talking about the mercy of God and the salvation of God. And uh, these are all the things they've been longing for, for hundreds of years. And God was mute. And he's saying, God is no longer mute. God is no longer mute. And so he turns to the child and says, You're, you have a special role in all of this. And I, I just, you know, I just think it's, uh, it, it just shows how God has worked everything right to the moment. We had this pregnancies with uh, Elizabeth, and then lo and behold, there's a pregnancy with totally unexpected, totally unexpected. They get together and they're both realize instantly that there's a connection between the two. These are not separate things that happen. They did happen a hundred miles apart, but they're separate. They're separate, not separate in any other sense. They're tightly connected. And it's all because God's bringing this thing to a point that he's going to bring his son into the world to save the world. And I, I think that's the whole basis of this last part of this, of this chapter. And you asked earlier about why does Luke include this? I, I, I think he had some idea that this was an important point, that uh, light was coming. And the light was coming in the person of Jesus, and that the last stream that would join the mainstream would be John the Baptist. And he said, you know, he's going to increase. I'm going to decrease. The stream of Jesus gets wider until it takes over the whole earth. 
think that's really interesting. I think it's a, an excellent insight. The idea, what I love, what you brought out is the symbolism of Zechariah and his silence and how he kind of embodies Israel, the silence they had been in. And now as soon as he says the name John, bursting forth is speech. So now time, things are changing. John's born. Everything's different. The spirits at work again in Israel. We have this prophet like Elijah. And I think what's really cool about this passage too is more than likely Zechariah is quoting from Malachi. And so in Malachi 3, you have this idea of preparing the way, which is riffing off of and quoting Isaiah 40. But Malachi, he, he quotes Malachi there. And in verse 77, he quotes him again about the son of righteousness, the son that's going to rise. And so the, the really neat thing is the places he's quoting from connect to Malachi's prophecy about the coming prophet Elijah. And so we have this new Elijah prophet-like person, just as Elijah was that famous prophet. Now a new prophet's come that's like Elijah in the spirit of Elijah. And it's really neat, the the, the connections. We're, we're getting a new Elijah. We're, we're getting a new Elijah. We're getting a new Moses. Yeah. And when they get on the Mount of Transfiguration, God makes it pretty clear which of the three we need to be concerned about. This is my beloved son. Jesus, I'm well yeah. pleased you listen to him. You know, Peter was all about building a tent. Well, I think you answered my question too about Luke. You know, we had talked about that pre-podcast. Why would Luke include this? I mean, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So why does the Holy Spirit through Luke help, you know, help Luke choose this? And it's linking up major portions of the Bible. Luke is, is building this bridge and saying, Okay, all those, like you said, you said earlier, these streams, rivers, are going to flow into two rivers, which is John the Baptist and Jesus, but eventually into one river, which is Jesus. It's all going that way. And so this is a, this is a crucial link, taking Old Testament prophecy and taking the longings of the Jewish people. You know, it had been so long for them, kind of a dark night of the soul for the Jewish people. You know, they had been under oppression, horrible things had happened to them. And now the light has dawned, and now they have... Uh, information. They're no longer in ignorance. Salvation has come. And what do you think about that, the idea of salvation? You had talked to him about that earlier, too, about verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. What was the state right now in Israel, Zechariah being a priest? What's going on there? Why do you think that's important? Well, I I think what's happened is that the system is not working. Obviously, there's no Ark of the Covenant. There's Yom Kippur is a thing of the past, and, and uh, Zechariah has been making all these sacrifices as a priest. He he understands that uh, that things aren't right because if things were right, they would not be under the Romans' heel. I, I assume that most all Jews realize that there's this sin and iniquity. Somehow, our God would God would rescue them, and in this this passage, he's say that's what God's going to do. God is, God is going to finally rescue us. And how will he do that? Well, he's going to send John the Baptist, who's going to introduce the concept of salvation. Moses introduced the concept of salvation. That's not working out. So here comes John the Baptist, and he says, you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. He preached the coming of Jesus. He preached repentance. 
and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's exactly what he did. He talked about the forgiveness of sins, and he called upon people to repent and to change. And the problem with the Jewish nation was all these hundreds of years, they had not repented. And if you remember John the Baptist, boy, he was a straight shooter. And those guys that came out there faking it, he told them, you're a brood of vipers. You know, you're, yeah. there's no hope. There's no hope for you. And, uh, and that's the moment at which, when he's making this big announcement about forgiveness of sins, salvation, but longing for, because they're experts just to get the Roman heel over their, over their neck. Jesus steps in and says, well, baptize me. And of course, John is like, that's not the way this is supposed to work. And Jesus said, well, it will. That's what has to happen in order for this whole thing to be righteous, for it to be right. And then what happens? That's the point at which John the Baptist says, I'm going to get smaller. He's going to get greater because that's what he's, he's the one that's bringing the salvation. And there's no wonder when Paul is talking to those folks in Rome, he's saying, well, what baptism do you have? They said, well, we were baptized by John. He said, well, that was pre-Jesus. But now that we have Jesus, John is gone. And that one stream now flows. And there's no salvation under any name except under the name of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. It is. Uh, I don't know how much John the Baptist understood what he was doing. I don't know what he was thinking about when he was living in caves or wherever he was in the in the wilderness area. And uh, but when the time was ready, he knew to come. And Jesus knew to come. It's amazing. Yeah. They, they both they both knew to come. They were in their 30s. And Either one of them had done any preaching, and all of a sudden, they wound up in Jerusalem. Yeah, something prompted them to get moving and get going. And I know we don't have time today, but we to get into that whole theory of what's going on out in the wilderness with John. Where is he in the Judean wilderness? Is he with a community of people? Is it like Elijah? Does he have a community of prophets that he's with? I mean, you kind of wonder. But the, the and I've, here's another point: as you were talking, I was thinking. The book of Acts and Luke are written by the same guy. So I find it interesting that Luke does include later um, followers of John the Baptist post-church age, like not post-church age, but during the church age, during the age of the spirit in the church and post-resurrection, post-cross of Jesus, you've got, well, what about John's followers? You know, I think he's make he puts that story. There's probably tons of stuff Luke could have picked from, but he picks them, he picks these things selectively. So he's telling us now the proper place of John the Baptist, which could have been a confusion in the early church. They could have been confused about John. And he's saying, okay, the proper place of John is, man, there was a drought. There was no prophecy. He's the last great prophet, basically, of the old covenant, so to speak. I mean, you can look at it that way. He's the last great prophet, like Elijah. He comes. And so later, you know, years afterward, we run into these John disciples in Acts 19 and they're told, no, you need to be immersed in Jesus Christ. You, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That, that's what John the Baptist was all about, was to point you to Christ. So I, this really tied up some loose ends, Philip. Like what you were talking, as you were talking, things started to click for me where the Bible's falling into place. Like 
Luke especially, and I, it's been a blessing to me uh, to, to work through this. So as we're, we're thinking about the takeaway from today's podcast, and just tell me if, if I've got this, Philip, that God's plan is a perfect plan. It's a good plan. Um, all this was was figured out. This is the fullness of time, and God starts to act when it's time to act. So John the Baptist has this magnificent role to play in God's plan, but it's all pointing to Jesus, and maybe we should all have the same attitude of John and say he must increase and I must decrease. You know, it's about Jesus all, all day long. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's Everything's pointing to Jesus. There was one thing we didn't talk about this message. Maybe we just, as we end, we ought, we ought to discuss just a little bit. That's the frequent use of the word mercy. Yes. If you've ever been in the need of mercy, uh, you, you know you've been at the point where you've done all you can do. And you realize you're an unprofitable servant. You only have one hope that the judge or whoever the boss, the employer will be merciful. We had a saying, throw yourself on the mercy of the of the court. Yeah. And that's what that's what Zechariah is seeing here. The only way out of the situation, because they are so deep in sin, that the only way out of their situation is for God to be merciful. Amen. And we need to realize that. You know, before we get too giddy, we need to realize that. That's where we are without Jesus. And Jesus is mercy that we don't deserve, but without it, we're lost. I think that message resonates today, Philip, because we live in a merciless time. People need mercy. You look at social media shaming, you look at people that have made mistakes 20, 30 years ago, maybe in high school. Now they're running for public office or they're being confirmed to a court. And all that's drug out again. You know, you made this mistake long ago. We have no mercy for you whatsoever. America is a merciless place right now. And boy, I'm telling you, if churches need to wake up and realize we need to preach mercy and grace and peace, because this generation, I would think, I pray I'm, I'm right about this. If not, I don't want to be Mr. Uh, negative Nancy Pants here, but I would pray this generation is craving mercy, because if not, we're in trouble. Uh, we're in big trouble as a nation. We need mercy. We need to understand grace and the Christian message. We we are the ambassadors of, of grace and mercy. I mean, that's our message. And what I think every Christian is you're you're taking this podcast in today, please be an ambassador of mercy and grace and, and tell people, open up your mouth and share with them your faith that no Jesus, no mercy, no Jesus, no hope. And brag on what Jesus has done for you. Uh, right now, people are ripe for that, I believe. They want to hear that. And so what we see here, Philip, in this story is mercy. It's all about mercy. It's all about grace. And this, as we as we leave and, and kind of close out today, take I, I want to add one thing to what you said, because I think what your point is so, so relevant. And that is the church, Christians, need to be, Free givers of mercy. Amen. And we can't expect the world to change 
if we are if we become unmerciful ourselves, blessed are those who have mercy for they receive it. And right now the world needs some mercy. I mean, there's just there's so much turmoil and so much hatred and so much uh, bitterness. And Christians can't partake in it. We just can't. We can't get caught up in it. That's right. We have to be forgiving. We we can't get in this vortex of anger and vitriol and hatred and bitterness. We we are an oasis of grace and mercy. That's who we are. And we need to, we got to do it. We've got to embrace that. And this message, I mean, you're thinking about that time period. You're you're dealing with a time in Rome. And in the Jewish faith, I mean, in, in Judaism at that time, there was no mercy and grace. It was just a lot of anger, a lot of self-righteousness, a lot of vindication, much like our world today. And the, and the church came in like a thunderbolt, and they grew because people were craving that. And I think it can happen again, but Christians are going to have to be the ones that decide to be agents of grace and mercy. Well, Philip, this has been awesome uh, once again. Uh, and I appreciate all the hard work you do in putting these podcasts together and, and your material and how you prepare. Um, and I think this will be a message. Maybe it'll stick with people through the weekend and I pray that everyone here has a, a worshiping community that they're a part of as that they're gathering with God's people on the first day of the week. But um, just want to say, have a great weekend and would love to see you guys back next week as we close out our, our podcast. Philip. You have a great weekend, my friend. Well, we're sure going to try. Yes, sir. If we keep having weather like the last two or three days, uh, we'd be a sorry excuse of a person if we didn't have a good weekend. It's beautiful. You can't help it. God's blessed. Today, the word would be glorious. Today is a glorious day in Alabama. I'm awful bad about getting down on thinking the future looks bleak, but for Christians, the future has never looked better. Hey, there's... Our best days are not behind us. They're ahead of us in Christ, no matter what happens. Absolutely. God bless Absolutely. you, friend. Thank you, Philip. And thank you to the listeners. Mm-hmm.